In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. Our topic of conversation with our Lord is interior struggle, dash, fighting against lukewarmness. And I want to title this meditation under the heading of the interior life, a phrase coined by St. Paul addressed to, for the most part, laity in the primitive church of Corinth, the church of Corinth, that had no steeples, no temples, no parish centers, no parochial schools, no official diocesan programs. The church was a moral entity. I would estimate maybe 60 families, 80 families. Priests were not in abundance then. You had a pope, you had a bishop. Their bishop was St. Paul. Other bishops were ordained like St. Apollo, St. Barnabas, St. Titus. But it was the will of God that the face of the church, especially in those first centuries, would be the face of ordinary folk. The face of the church was not the bishop or the priest. And I don't say that in reaction to what's going on right now with the reemergence of an awareness of priest scandals, clerical abuse, which is such a disgrace that that would afflict people called to be role models and setting the tone. Even if that didn't happen, I would say the same thing. The literature of the New Testament is basically a history of the church book written by the Holy Spirit because we believe that's the inspired word of God. And you read the Acts of the Apostles, the physician historian, St. Luke, narrates those first decades of Christian history that is also inspired word of God and you can't distinguish between 
clergy and laity. There were no religious. There wouldn't be religious orders for another 300 years. And the impression you get is a tension to spread the gospel to other people. One impression you don't get is that the early Christian was just characterized by a Sunday Mass Catholic. Or someone who observed certain rules and regulations. But you get this kind of holy, anxious sense of urgency to bring the gospel to the masses. It's interesting, and Paul makes it abundantly clear in the end of Romans chapter 1. I don't want to read the whole thing, it's just too jarring. And, it's, and what he says will affect, especially now, our, our sensitivities. It can be something taken out of the newspaper. And he maps out, he spells out, the difficulties the early Christian was facing because of the moral relativism they had then, the sexual perversities you had then, the violence, the challenges with the youth, it's all there. Just read the last four pages of Chapter 1 to the Romans. You could almost get the impression that poor St. Paul was weary with this work of evangelization, given all the obstacles. Paul says to the early church in Corinth, And he says it to you and to me. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on your hearts to be known and read by all men. And you show that you are a letter from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. And we address our Lord truly present in the monstrance. And we Tell our Lord without false humility, Jesus, I'm a sinful man, I'm a weak man, I'm a flawed man. But through you, you can do great things if I correspond. And with that former serious sinner, St. Paul, I can do great things in him who strengthens me. Because technically it's not me doing it, it's him. Help me be that letter, that living letter. 
And so what St. Paul is saying in this atmosphere of doubt, of lust, of violence, of cynicism, of ignorance, of disbelief, of hatred of Christianity, what Paul said to those first ones, that cluster of people in Corinth, He says you, need, you can't just disseminate information. There is no Christian culture here. You've got to start from scratch. Certain sense, I guess that's the way it is in every era. But in a way we've, our Catholic culture not formally gone. It would be terribly inaccurate to say that. But in a way you could say it's virtually gone. Lord, teach me how to be that letter. In the early 30s, amid a virulent religious persecution in Spain, that would take a high toll in Christian life, many martyrs. He says, in the way, through the world, still echoes that divine cry, quote from Jesus, I have come to cast fire upon the earth, and how anxious I am until it is kindled. And you see, it has nearly all died out. Don't you want to spread the blaze? We may tell the Lord with American realism and pragmatism, you expect me to spread the blaze? And we can take the liberty to put words in Jesus' mouth? If you correspond to grace, you'll spread the blaze. Because you don't spread the blaze, I spread the blaze. I would say in my younger days I believed it. I, obviously I still believe it, but now I, 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 I know it because it is self-evident. We all have the same experience. When we get close to people, part of my job description is to get into the personal lives of people. Don't pry, but people expect that, they want that. Whether it's spiritual direction, especially confession, or just friendship. Everybody has a story to tell. Every family member has a story to tell. Our colleagues at work, our friends, extended family, immediate family, whatever. There's a lot of suffering out there. And barring suffering because of illness, 
financial difficulties. I would say the greatest suffering, even though we have to bear our cross, but the greatest suffering occurs through an absence of God. And what has made me perplexed, we all are the same boat, we want to see people do well, we want to help people we love. And at times we even have the solution. We, the, the gospel is the solution. You see so many, for example, you see marriages that begin so beautifully. And great beginning, great romance, great couple of years. And, and, and strife. You see a lot of sadness out. A lot of, and there's, there's a correlation between sadness, despair, strife, family dysfunction, substance abuse, sexual addiction. You've yet to see someone who's high on life because of these things. It's this simple. There's an absence of Christ. Even on an international level. There's an absence of the gospel. Now, is it as simple? I wish it were. It sounds like I'm bragging. I'm plagiarizing the gospel. I know that the gospel is the solution. I'm positive. Because those who try it, it works. Perfectly, no, that's the afterlife. But it works. And little by little, people's lives get put, put back together. They get transformed, they get healed, they find meaning, they grow in joy. It works. But how do we get people to listen? That's the challenge. And St. Paul says, well, you've got to be a letter from Christ. You've got to, I've got to, make Jesus Christ real. I'm Jesus saying in these very difficult times of the early church, you are the light of the world, and that's how he identifies himself. He says, I am the light of the world. Quite a tall order. You better be God if you're going to say that. If you're not, that's quite an ego to say, I'm the light of the world. But he's, he's God, so that's one of the perks of being God. You can say, I'm the light of the world. But then Jesus does turn the tables. Matthew 5. You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. You are commanded to love just as I have loved. And then they'll know you're my disciples. They'll come to me. And so what is the solution to bring people to Christ? No, it's not giving the right information. I wish it were. It'd be much easier. I've got to be the right information. That's what Paul is saying. You've got to be an actual letter of Christ. You've got to be Christ. 
You have to reincarnate his life. Allegedly, Jesus said this to John in a vision, book of Revelation. History has it that John is the only apostle where the priest doesn't vest in red. He should have been a martyr, but he miraculously survived. The history tells us that Domitian, the Roman emperor, dunked him, immersed him in boiling oil. And he survived. It spooked the emperor. And he was exiled to the island of Patmos, where he was the recipient of the book of Revelation. The original translation is the book of the Apocalypse. And you could, I don't know, I'm not a scripture man, but uh, you could almost make a case that some kind of traumatic experience occurred in John's life as you read through the book of Revelation. It's real revelation, don't get me wrong. But it's on the heels of an attempt at martyring him. And in this vision he has of Jesus, he records Jesus' words addressed to a particular church of Ephesus. So in those days it wasn't St. Peter's or St. Joseph's or St. Margaret. It was Church of Rome, Church of Ephesus, Church of Corinth, Church of Philadelphia, not Pennsylvania, but Asia Minor. This is the Church of Ephesus where Mary lived. And let's, let's take this personally. I know your works. Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 to 6. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear evil men. Part of being a serious Catholic is to suffer on some level over these scandals and this division in the church and the face of the church being so tarnished and sullied and put to shame and driving people away. How you cannot bear evil men but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. Does that all ring a bell? You couldn't script it if you, better if you tried. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake. And you have not grown weary. Jesus says, I know you're hanging in there. It's no, no easy feat. I recognize that. You're faithful. I salute you for that. But he continues. 
But I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had at first. What does this mean? Scripture is always doing that there. The metaphor of divine love is the love a man and a woman have in their courtship. Because that's a love that is emotional and it's obvious, it's manifested, it's seen, it's vibrant. It's young, it's youthful. It's idealistic, it's generous. You know better than I, you've gotten married. And so Jesus uses that as a model. He says, yeah, you're good, you're, you haven't grown weary, but it's not the love of a man and a woman madly in love, on fire with love for each other. That's the bar I set for you in the church of Ephesus. But I have a man, I have this against you. It's not that, hey, listen, it'd be nice if you could raise the bar. He says, I have this against you. That you have abandoned the love you had, had you have had at first. Remember then from what you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. Lord, what does it mean to be on fire? Well, let's begin a little bit with the negative. I speak with so many different people. I joke that I feel I've been married maybe 10,000 times. I feel that I've been engaged 10,000 times. I've been newly, uh, I'm a newlywed 10,000 times. I've been married a long time 10,000 times. And it's sort of like... A, what Jesus doesn't want is, and it happens, and people have told me, so I'm thinking about a particular couple who are married well over 50 years now. I asked this guy, well, can you tell me your story a little bit? And he said, well, got married, fell in love, older generation, we got married in the early 20s, and uh, madly in love in the first couple of years, great relationship. And he said, then we, for the next 10 years, we were on hold a little bit. We didn't dislike each other. We didn't have major difficulties, but it was kind of take, it was in a holding pattern. We weren't communicating that much. We were, we accepted each other. We all had a lot on our plate. She had a lot, I had a lot. And then in amidst, amid prayer and spiritual inspiration, he said, we're not growing and this is my vocation. And he said, the relationship was lukewarm. He brought in Christ into his life she followed suit, and like in all relationships, the, the wife went, went way beyond him. And it began to grow and grow and grow. And I was really edified and encouraged. He said, I'm really in love with this woman. And we're about 70 years old. 
And I think she's beautiful. And we have to apply that to the spiritual life. And we have a sense of urgency. This works. Giving right information alone, you know it and I know it. I wish it were easier. Does not work. I have to be the right information. Which means I need to be a man committed to serious prayer. Because as St. Paul says, I need to put on Jesus Christ. And in spite of my sins and in spite of my weaknesses, there's going to be a Christ they see. And if I pray, they're going to see Christ. They're going to see the face of Christ. That's what St. Jose Maria says. That we start to reflect it like a mirror. Now we have authority, the authority of someone who is Christ. Christ is always overwhelming, is always drawing people. What's important here is that I commit myself to be an evangelizer and realize, well, you know, we don't want to wallow in pessimism because Jesus is always the victory that has overcome the world, no matter what happens. Because the whole gospel is an allegory of the 21st century. That's the miracle of the gospel. And we see in the gospel a boy afflicted with an unclean spirit. Our society is afflicted with an unclean spirit. And we see, unfortunately, priests also have been afflicted by that unclean spirit. And the apostles said, we couldn't cast it out. We thought we could cast it out. And Jesus told them, you can't cast it out unless you try to become a saint. This kind, this kind can only be cast out by prayer and fasting. All right, Jesus, as I finish my prayer and I go to Mary for her maternal intercession, help me want to, and number two, help me make a specific resolution to go forward in my love for your son. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you have communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help and put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.